As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. In this week's episode, I am speaking with A.J. Harper, author of Write a Must-Read, Crafty Book That Changes Lives, Including Your Own. If you've thought about writing a nonfiction book, this book is for you. I've already recommended this book to several people as it will make the task far less daunting and, more importantly, help you write a book that delivers. Cue the music. Welcome to the Repurpose Your Career podcast, brought to you by Career Pivot. This podcast is where those of us in the second half of life come together to discuss how to repurpose our careers for the 21st century. Come listen to career experts give you proven strategies, listen to people like you tell their stories on how they repurpose their careers, and finally, get your questions answered. Your host, Mark Miller, has made six career pivots over the last 30 years. He understands this is not about jumping out of the frying pan into a fire, but rather to create a plan where you make clear, actionable steps or pivots to a better future career. Are you ready to repurpose your career? Welcome to episode 279 of the Repurpose Your Career podcast. My name is Mark Miller and I'm your host every Monday for discussion on what it's like to repurpose your career. In this week's episode, I'm speaking with A.J. Harper, author of Write a Must Read, Craft a Book that Changes Lives, Including Your Own. If you've thought about writing a nonfiction book, this book is for you. I have already recommended this book to several people, as it will make the task far less daunting and, more importantly, help you write a book that delivers. Let me read you her bio. A.J. Harper is an editor and publishing strategist who helps authors write transformational books that enable them to build readerships, grow their brand, make a significant impact on the world. A ghostwriter and a development editor, she has worked with hundreds of authors from newbies to New York Times bestselling authors with millions of books sold. A.J. teaches her method in the top three book workshop and the must-read editing workshop. She is the head writing coach for Heroic Public Speaking, the premier speaking training program created by Michael and Amy Port. She is writing partner to business author Mike McCallowitz. Hopefully I got that right. Together, they've written nine books together, including Profit First. AJ is the author of Write a Must Read, Craft a Book that Changes Lives, Including Your Own. Connect with her at ajharper.com. I'm pitched a lot of books on this podcast. 
I have turned down some prominent authors because I thought their books did not deliver on what they promised. I think they should have read this book, as you will hear. AJ gives you a pretty easy system to follow to keep on track to write a book that delivers. This doesn't mean it's easy to do, but it is an excellent system. I'm currently reading a similar book, Find Your Red Thread, Make Your Big Ideas Irresistible, by Tamsin Webster, that I mentioned during the episode. It discusses a similar process to refine your ideas that I found very useful. However, before we get the episode, let's have a word from our sponsor, Career Pivot. The Career Pivot membership community is a group of people from all over the U.S. and Canada with diverse backgrounds. This is a community where everyone is there to help everyone else out, figure out what they want to do in the second half of life, and then make it happen. Many have made changes that they did not know existed or was possible when they came to the community. They learned from each other and broadened their horizons on what was really possible. Let's hear what David had to say about being part of the community. What I have gotten out of the career pivot community is really two phases. The first phase, I was employed, but then I lost my job for almost seven months. So the career pivot community helped me, frankly, get my head on straight to have the right attitude. It helped me go through a methodical reassessment and a process to find employment, which I did. So that was very helpful. And that's why I continue to stay. The second phase is since that time, I have since retired. So it's a a slightly different phase, but the career pivots community still provides ideas, engagement, frankie camaraderie. So it's great to have that feedback and camaraderie. For me also, the bottom line is it's you're not alone out there. You have other people that give you ideas and perspectives and frankly support. I'm recruiting new members. If you are interested in learning more about the endeavor, please go to careerpivot.com slash community. Now, on to my discussion with A.J. Harper. Welcome to the Repurpose Your Career podcast. I have the real joy of having A.J. Harper, who is the author of Write a Must Read, Craft a Book that Changes Lives, Including Your Own. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. A.J., our friend Christine Prater, who pimped your book on on LinkedIn, and I reached out and contacted. And I really like this because I got, I've been approached by God knows how many people who either want to write a book, nonfiction, mm-hmm. or write books. And my first response is, who'd you write this for? So why did you write this book? I wrote the book because I teach a class that helps authors write books that are truly game-changing and deliver on their promise. So they can write a book that people love and talk about and keep forever and is a resource for them for whatever length of time versus people who are writing a book to just write a book and check the box as a bucket list item or just as a promotional tool. So because I teach this class, which is a class I teach because of years as a ghostwriter and editor and what I learned. I wanted to write the book 
so that people who couldn't take my class could at least have information that's in the class and write a better book. I am absolutely on a mission to get better books out into the world. And I know so many people who want to write a book that's super meaningful, that people love and talk about, and end up compromising on that because they aren't sure of a way forward. So I thought, let me write the book, and then people can get it if they need it, even borrow it from their library, happy when they do that. So that was my reason. Okay. So you start out with a chapter called Reader First, Last, and Always. So what are you talking about there? So this is something I say in in that workshop I mentioned. I always tell my students, reader first, last, and always, meaning at every stage of authorship, from ideation to development, writing, editing, taking your book to market, and then reader engagement afterward, we have to put our reader first in all of our decision-making. Everything is about speaking directly to them, providing value for them, thinking of their reader experience and journey. And so when we put them first at every single stage, it's easier to make critical decisions. And it's also actually easier to stay the course with the project because now you're focused on them instead of yourself. And when we just focus on ourselves and our own ideas, we're less likely to actually finish the project. Yeah, it's interesting. When I started my blog 10 years ago, my business coach, first thing she had me do was work with a consultant to develop a marketing persona. And so we said in the same thing is who's my ideal reader. Mm-hmm. And as I worked with Susan Leahy, who's my, my co-author on all my books, we would essentially write to at this time, it was Bob, we would write to him. And that was really useful. So in part one, you, you talk about connect with your ideal reader. Tell me about that. So you mentioned Bob. And so it's just understanding who Bob is. And I make a distinction between what <clears throat> a marketing avatar and an ideal reader, <clears throat> because we, we tend to get a little stuck on the exact demographics, what our reader, you know, in a marketing avatar, it's What's their political viewpoint? How many kids do they have? What's their geographic location? Exactly how old are none of that matters here. What really matters is what's in their hearts and minds, specifically what they want and what they perceive to be in the way of getting it. It's not always what you understand it to be, but that's the book. But you have to, in order to connect with them, you have to know where they are now what they want, and what they perceive is the challenge in getting it. And if you can articulate that through story or through direct address or some sort of analogy, then you have them right out of the gate because they feel that you see them and you get them. Do you find that people have a hard time figuring out who their ideal reader is? They do. I I think they get stuck on the marketing avatar piece and they they want to get really specific. But then paradoxically, they're also worried that it's too, that they're going to leave people out. And the thing is, you could have a soccer mom, a skateboarder, a CEO who are all your reader if they're experiencing the same desire and challenge. So the demographics do matter sometimes, you know, um, but for the most part, it's the perceived problem and the, and the desire. So, you know, most people are 
they don't understand it can be as simple as that. And they're worried about, am I cutting too many people off? So they tend to write for as many people as possible. The thing is, when you write to the specific type of reader who has this desire and challenge, you'll still end up with what I call peripheral readers, other folks who read your book because it's a great book or they have some other needs. So they'll, they'll still find you. But when you try to write to all those people, then everything is diluted and you lose the specific connection that's needed to keep a person on the page. This is no different than starting a business, understanding who your customer is and, and niche down. And the problem is, is when you write for everybody, you write for no one. That's right. You can't get that specificity of experience. So if I tell you a story that has details from my own life, but we share the same issue, even though they aren't the same details, you'll feel connected to me. That's what people don't understand is that the specificity is what brings connection and they're afraid to get too specific. And the specificity isn't, again, in saying this person drives a Range Rover and votes Republican. It's the specificity of experience. Yeah, it's the transformational change that you want to make or the reader wants to make. Right. And what they share in common that's painful or challenging or or, um, the vision they have for their lives. It's less about the exact circumstances they're in. So the next chapter, which I really, really enjoyed, is craft your game-changing core message. So what's a core message? So many people use the term. I use it as the foundational truth on which your entire book is built. So we usually have a lot of things. People end up usually with a kitchen sink of, and this, and this, and this, that they want to say. But it's that fundamental truth that everything else hinges on, like the foundation of a house. And so from in my own book, Write a Must Read, the core message is a book is not about something, a book is for someone. That's the core message. If I can't get you over to that way of thinking, everything else I teach in the book won't work as well or at all. So you think about that fundamental message that everything else hinges on. But then the part that I really... I really take at least the students in my class to task, and I try to in the book, is for that to be transformational on its own. So people get very confused about what a core message is. They confuse it with an elevator pitch, a tagline. They confuse it with a promise, a mission statement. Promise is probably one of the most common things people confuse it with. But it's really just that statement of truth that is transformational on its own so that when you hear it, it can change your thought process and or behavior on it without ever reading the book. Maybe not the whole thing, but if I say to you, a book isn't about something, it's for someone, and that shifts your thinking, so now you're writing in a different way, then that's a transformational message. It's hard to get to, but those type of messages that are simple and transformational are also shareable, and that's really key because then people can say, you've got to read this book. Here's the message. Yeah, I found it interesting. I believe this is the area where you said, get it down to one sentence. Maybe two. <laughs> and maybe two. And you had one example where it was three. Yeah, he because that was important to him and his reader. And, and so that's always going to be the default to the reader, right? Yeah. But I thought 
because I'm reading another book right now, which is very similar called uh, something about red thread. You're reading Tansen's book. That's a great book. But it's very similar approach is getting you down. So you say it in as few words as possible. Yes. That it forces you to say, this is why you want to read this book. It's that it should be a message of truth that speaks to your ideal reader that when they hear it, they lean in because they know that it's it's got an answer for them. It's not really, here's why you should read my book. It's more, this is what I believe. And if you would only think this way or try this thing, whatever it is, then things could be, you could get that thing you want. As I'm reading through this, because I'm using the... Um the red thread is, is, is a way to get me to rethink about, I have an online community mm-hmm. and rethink about that. And also trying to decide what, if, a, if I'm going to do a fourth edition of my book and then how am I going to change it post pandemic? Right. Right. And cause so much has changed. Yes. It really, um, it's forcing me to get de- getting very, very specific. It's thinking about if thinking about that fundamental switch that needs to happen so that all the other learning can happen. And I think when people write books, especially when they're first starting out, they skip so much of the developmental work that is really rigorous that you have to try and get right. And then in the end, they end up with a lot of rewrites that they maybe didn't need to do, a lot of frustration. And sometimes they end up with a book that's a compromise, which I really think is sad and what they really wanted to do. And I also think that when you focus on your reader, it eliminates that fear that maybe you can't actually write the book because every decision then is made based on them. So it's not that talent is not a factor. It just becomes less, much, much, much less of a factor when you're following that way of thinking. And if your core message is crafted for that reader, it will really speak to them when they hear it. So your next chapter is commit to a promise that you can deliver. Yeah. That's the last part. There is the key part. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about that. Well, you know, I spent a lot of years writing with some pretty notable thought leaders and, uh, and also serving as an editor in some of their projects. And Sometimes it was like the Wizard of Oz, you know, not really legit. And I felt that the promises were not delivered within the confines of the book or maybe even ever. And I think when we're when you're a new author, the urge is to promise big stuff. And and maybe it's totally innocent and you really wish that your reader would could have it. The problem is that you can't really account for a lot of variables in someone's life. So promising something someday, it doesn't really work. So what you've got to do is think about, okay, what can I promise if they read every word of my book and do the things I ask them to do, how will their life be different? And when you commit to a promise you can deliver, there's two things that can happen. One is you force yourself to maybe modify the promise and then you know, manage expectations in that way so that then you're actually delivering, but actually also helps you up level because if you really want to promise this one thing, what else do you need to do in the book to make sure that happens? So it helps you come up with additional content that you might need because you really do want to deliver it. 
and I think it's a great exercise in also, you know, it's a matter of integrity, but if you, if you actually deliver for a reader that they're going to talk about that book forever. The reason this chapter really got to me was when you talked about people who wrote books and they got on stage and they promoted their stuff and I'm pitched 15, 20 times a week for this podcast. Yeah. And I've had some prominent authors send me their books or their publicists sent me their books. And I'm sorry, the book sucked. And I had to go back to them saying, I'm not interested in having it on the podcast. Well, why not? Because I didn't like the book. And you try and not be mean, but where it's that doesn't fit my audience. But yeah, I've, I get so many books now that are pitched to me that don't deliver. I think that's partly because we've set this up in our in publishing now, especially with nonfiction and prescriptive nonfiction, that just get your book out there and you know, get it out as quickly as possible, follow these templates and formulas. It's just for lead gen. Well, listen, the ultimate lead gen is a book that people love and talk about. It's not a glorified business card. It's an actual book where people say, I can't put this down. I love this book. I was just in a session with um, with a, one of my readers and she showed me her book and it was just a hot mess of post-its and underlines and because it's super useful to her. And that's what we want to go for. So when you say, put your reader first and actually give them the promise, then even if you aren't the best writer in the world, that doesn't even matter because you did everything you could to make sure that your promise was delivered. Yeah. I think it also helps you stay focused. I spent a lot of time in learning and development and I did a lot of on both classroom and, and doing the learning objectives at the beginning, which a lot of people want to skip over. Mm-hmm. And that those learning objectives were always very useful because if suddenly I wanted to add this section, if it didn't fit the learning objectives, right? then why is it in here? Exactly. And that's when I was reading this, that was one of the things that just jumped back at me, that this, this makes total sense. So your next chapter in part one is filter your content with three questions. So what are those three questions? So once you have ideal reader set, you have a creator reader statement, you have a transformational core message, and you have a promise you can deliver, those three pillars actually become the questions. So when you're considering, should I include this story or this research or this teaching principle, you ask yourself, three questions. Will it help me connect to my ideal reader to help them feel seen and heard? Will it help me support my core message? So prove it's true, convince them, explain it. And will it help me deliver on my promise like we just talked about? If you can just get one yes, you don't have to have three yeses, just one of those is a yes, then it probably goes in your book. If you can't get one yes, then it absolutely doesn't go in your book. It's very often we get too close to our own baby mm-hmm. and we want to add and you say, well, but I really, this is a really good story, but it just doesn't fit. And sometimes it's a good story you can use in promoting the book later right. or in some, some sort of bonus content. It's nothing's ever wasted. 
but you do need to filter the content you have and you can use the same questions to help you find uh, the content that you don't have that will fill in the gaps. So what else do you need to connect? What else do you need to support core message? And what else do you need to deliver on the promise? And so the next chapter is create a transformational outline. Yeah. Transformational outline? Yeah. What is that? <laughs> so this is where I differ from a lot of folks who use set templates and um, recommend categorizing things. I call that the silverware drawer method where you put spoons with spoons, knives with knives, forks with forks. It's our human tendency to want to organize like that. That's a pretty normal way. Let me put all the, these things go together. So that'll be a chapter. But a transformational outline is meeting the reader where they are. So you've done that ideal reader work. So you know where they are thinking about the promise, which is the end and then crafting the content in a way that takes them on a journey of what they need to know first, next, 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 and respects their reader experience of going through that journey. That is the transformational outline versus just putting grouping like content with like content. We're going to cover your part one was developed. Part two is draft and part three is edit. We're going to skip the edit piece. Cause I think this next piece really hit me is writing your draft. Yeah. Cause when I wrote my first repurpose your career, I, we wrote a rough draft and I sent it around to a lot of people mm-hmm. and said, okay, what do you think? Okay. And I got a ton of feedback. I bet. Right. And that was incredibly useful. Like one of the things that everyone told me was you have lots of stories in there, but they're all yours. Mm-hmm. Well, at the time, that's all I had. Mm-hmm. When I did the second edition, I worked with Susan. We inserted a whole bunch of stories that weren't mine. Sure. Getting that feedback, even if it's negative, is good. <laughs> so you have two chapters, write your super rough draft. And what I really like was kill your inner critic trolls. Yeah. So tell me about how do we go about writing a draft? Well, if you have that, those foundational pieces, if you have those three pillars, reader core message promise, and then you have a transformational outline and you've sorted all your content and you're mindful of the reader journey, then you're writing to that outline. And it's, it's maybe only 80% of where it needs to be, but now you can write with confidence knowing where it should go. And you can just write the terrible draft it's going to be because it's going to be terrible. And I think people misunderstand how terrible it can be, especially if you're a first-time author. They always think they're going to be the exception. It's going to be really bad, but it's going to be at least on point with core message promise reader. So it's already better than if you hadn't done that work, right? But it's really in editing where your book comes to life. So it's just get the words down on paper in the order you decided with the transformational outline, get it done so you can move on to editing. So what about the kill your inner critic trolls? Well, I call them trolls because when I was starting out as a young writer, I had this little troll doll on my desk. I grew up in the 80s and it had orange, big orange hair. And I somehow instinctively knew that I needed a representative of that voice in my head that said, why bother doing this? Why are you even doing this? This isn't, no one's going to read this. This is a long shot. No one cares. You're not as good as you think you are. 
And I would put them on my desk and writing when I would start a writing session and deliberately knock them over just to say, not today, troll. And I told that story in my class for the first class. And then my students started showing up with troll dolls. And it, so it just became a whole, now it's a whole thing in my workshop where people go get troll dolls because it represents the reality that as Stephen Pressfield, I later learned in his book, The War of Art, that that is really our resistance to the creative process, to doing the thing we're called to do. And the thing is, it's going to keep showing up every day. So you might as well, all you can do is hope to kill them that day, but they'll be back the next day because they're zombies. <laughs> <laughs> I liked, I really like that section because one of the things I've, I regularly tell people I've, I've helped a lot of people start blogs over the years. And one of the things I always tell people is look, your first stuff, it'll suck. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. You can delete it. Right. Um, and two, you will, the more you write, the more you need to listen to find out what do people think about what you just wrote? I mean, I've been a presenter for 30 years. And whenever I do new material, I would always tell, ask people afterwards is what'd you get out of that? And because what I think you should get out of it doesn't mean that's what you got out of it. So I have to go ask. And so the key piece is right. Get people to read it and listen because they're going to tell you stuff that you didn't expect both good and bad. True. I, I do recommend if you're a new writer to wait on that feedback process until you've done some of your own editing, because if you try to do it when you're writing the first draft, even a well-intentioned comment from a super nice person could derail your efforts. It, it might send you down a rabbit hole or yep. a depression path that, and it's hard to get out of. So yes, I think feedback's really important. Once you feel more confident about your draft. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I've um, I said, I've been a presenter for so many years. And when people tell me that they'll tell me something that they didn't like, I'm going, yeah, but that's not important or it's, you're not my target audience. Mm-hmm. So am I going to thank you for the feedback? I may not use it. Not right. every piece of feedback you're going to use. No, it's just information. That's right. AJ, this was really good. I said, I really liked your book. I've already given it to some people. Oh, yay. um, Because I think it structures the way to think about Mm -hmm. why are you writing this book? Because I think if you have the why, it'll come out a whole lot better than just simply write the book. Yeah. And I, I think you have to stay in touch of that, that feeling you have that initial thought you had, Hey, I really want to help people. I maybe I'll write a book. I wish people understood this or knew this, or I wish I could share this with more people. It keeps that um, really innocent, precious goal you had front and center. Uh, and which is important because the publishing industry is hard and the road is long. So keeping that top of mind will help you stay the course. Yeah, it's it's interesting. One of the things is I have people who come in my online community 
who are thinking of doing encore careers or doing other things. It's most of the time it's about helping people. Mm -hmm. So who exactly do you want to help get be as specific as you can? How do you want to help them? And three, will they accept that that kind of help? Yeah. Well, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, for the most part though, if you've given, if you've connected with them, if you've taken the time to know them and establish connection on the page, then they're more apt to accept the help. Well, AJ, this was great. If someone wanted to contact you, buy your book or take your workshop, how might they do that? Thank you for asking. Um, My book is available where all books are sold, so they can just choose their preferred retailer store, wherever they like to go, or even check it out from the library. And they can learn more about me at ajharper.com and get cool freebies uh, from Write a Must Read at writeamustread.com. And we will put all of those links in the show notes. Thank you so much. This was a great pleasure. Thank you very much for being on the Repurpose Your Career podcast. Hope you enjoyed that episode. I found AJ's book quite actionable. It guides you step-by-step to keep you on track in writing your nonfiction book. Take a moment and go to careerpivot.com. Sign up for the weekly Career Pivot Insights newsletter, which is sent out every Sunday. You'll get a weekly update on this podcast, white papers, and new blog posts. While there, do not forget to check out the Career Pivot community, which can be found at careerpivot.com slash community. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Look for Career Pivot on Facebook and LinkedIn. You'll find me on Twitter at Career Pivot. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the Repurpose Your Career podcast. You will find all the show notes at careerpivot.com slash episode dash 279. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, Overcast, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, and lots of other places where podcasts can be found. In fact, this podcast can be found on the Repurpose Your Career podcast channel on YouTube. Hope to see you next Monday for another episode of Repurpose Your Career podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.